Thank you, Ben, for reading our scripture tonight. I appreciate so much your presence. We're going to be looking at a number of passages of scripture together tonight. And I would, I would call your attention to 1 Thessalonians, the passage that Ben read a moment ago. As we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. I want to begin by expressing appreciation to each of you for your presence tonight. To those who are visiting, as always, we hope that you find us a friendly and inviting congregation. We're glad that you're here. If you're, if you're looking for a church home, as always, we encourage you to come back and be with us. And we would love to have you place membership, become a part of the church here. We're so thankful for the number of people that have joined hands with us in recent months, and we'd love to have you. Tonight in our study, we're going to be talking about the rapture and the supposed signs of his coming. Before we do that, I want us to go to God in prayer, and then we're going to talk about our subject at hand. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the privilege that we have to be together. We're thankful for the opportunity to sing, to pray, to read from your word, and to study. We ask that you would bless us with open hearts and receptive minds. May we constantly search the scriptures and make sure that the things that we believe and practice are indeed according to truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we think about the rapture and the signs of his coming, I want to begin by saying that I would imagine that this is a doctrine that is believed by many, many people in the religious world, some in the church. And the key is, what does the Bible have to say? Whatever the subject, biblically speaking, we need to go to the Word of God. We would do well to be like the Bereans of old who searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things are so. The rapture, of course, very popular. Many preachers in the quote-unquote religious world talk about the rapture and the signs of his coming. And sometimes you'll hear individuals talk about preachers particularly, of how we are living in the last days. Well, I would agree that we are living in the last days. But the last days that I'm talking about, the Christian dispensation. That's what the Hebrew writer acknowledged in chapter 1. What I want us to do is to examine what many have said about this theory and then we want to look at what the Bible has to say because when it's all said and done, truth trumps everything. As we begin, let me just outline for you the theory, the teaching that is so prevalent. Advocates of the rapture teach that seven years before Jesus begins his supposed earthly reign on earth, for a period of a thousand years, he will come and secretly rapture or snatch away his saints. According to their theory, it will involve the resurrection of those who died in Christ 
and the translation of living saints. The basis, of course, for their doctrine is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as well as Matthew chapter 24. Add to this picture the following assertion. And this statement was made by a gentleman, Clarence Larkin, on page 11 of his book, Dispensational Truth, in about 1920. He said, when Christ comes, Antichrist, and that's capital, capitalized, is to be destroyed. But as Antichrist is to be destroyed before the millennium, that is before the thousand year reign, there can be no millennium until Christ comes. You remember we talked about the Antichrist. And John said in 1 John chapter 2 that even now there are many Antichrists. John was writing in about AD 95 or 96. Those who were deemed Antichrist were those who were denying that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh. And John said in 1 John chapter 4, they are Antichrist. And we talked before about anyone that would teach something that is Antichrist, that is, that is not in accordance with the teaching of the Bible, and that would include the Apostles' Doctrine, would be deemed Antichrist. They are against Christ. I mentioned last week in our study, as it related to the Antichrist, the well-known writer Hal Lindsey, and I want to read again from what Mr. Lindsey writes because, as I said last week, he has sold about 35 million books. The copy that I have, The Late Great Planet Earth, has been distributed far and wide, and he is not the only individual that has written about this subject. But many of the preachers of today, many very popular preachers, those on television, they will teach very similar things. I want to just give you an overview, if I could, or really not an overview, but a scenario that he paints as it relates to the rapture, the idea that the Lord will come and secretly rapture away his saints. On page 124 and 125, here's what he says. There I was driving down the freeway, and all of a sudden the place went crazy, cars going in every direction. And not one of them had a driver. Now, you want to talk about defensive driving. He said, I mean, it was wild. I think we've got an invasion from outer space. It was the last quarter of the championship game, and the other side was ahead. Our boys had the ball. We made a touchdown and tied it up. The crowd went crazy. Only one minute to go, and they fumbled. Our quarterback recovered. He was about a yard from the goal when zap. No more quarterback, completely gone, just like that. It was puzzling, very puzzling. I was teaching my course in the philosophy of religion when all of a sudden three of my students vanished. They simply vanished. They were quite argumentative, always trying to prove their point from the Bible. No great loss to the class. However, I do find this disappearance very difficult to explain. Now that is a scenario that Hal Lindsey paints regarding the supposed snatching away of the saints. Lindsey also asked this question on page 133. When will the rapture occur? His response, we don't know. 
No one knows, but God knows. However, we believe that according to all the signs, that's a key statement, we're in the general time of his coming. In just a minute, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 24. The supposed signs of the coming of Christ are found, as I mentioned a moment ago, in the 24th chapter of the book of Matthew. Jesus Christ, according to Lindsay, suggests, or rather pinpointed, the general time of his return when the disciples asked him two important questions. What will be the sign of your coming, they wanted to know, and what will be the sign of the end of the age? The coming referred to in the question above is commonly referred to as the second advent of Christ. It was only natural that they wanted to know what signs would indicate his return to set up God's promised kingdom. Again, another important statement. Let me just very quickly give you an overview of what people typically believe concerning the rapture and the signs of his coming. On page 42, here's what is said. The coming referred to in the question above is commonly referred to as the second advent of Christ. It was only natural that they wanted to know what signs would indicate his return to set up God's promised kingdom, as I read a moment ago. In answer, Jesus gave many general signs involving world conditions, which he called birth pangs. He said that these signs, such as religious apostasy, wars, national revolutions, earthquakes, famines, etc., would increase in frequency and intensity just like birth pangs before a child is born. One of the great signs he predicted, however, is often overlooked. He speaks of the Jewish people being in the land of Palestine as a nation at the time of his return. Let me just pause there. A lot is said about the land promise given to the Jews. And there are a lot of folks in the world today, religiously speaking, that have the idea that that land still belongs to them. Let me tell you what, Joshua said in chapter 21, verses 43 through 45, that that land promise has been fulfilled in totality. All things came to pass, as Joshua said. Lindsay goes on to say, he speaks of those who were in Judea fleeing to the mountains to escape the great battles that immediately precede his return. And he cites Matthew 24, verse 16. Another statement of Jesus demands a national existence with even their ancient worship restored. Pray that your flight may not be on a Sabbath. Matthew 24, verse 20. Listen to what he says, if you, if you would. This indicates that the ancient traditions regarding travel on the Sabbath would be in force again, thus hindering a rapid escape from the predicted invasion. Even the temple has to be rebuilt according to the sign given in Matthew 24, 15. I want to just pause here for a minute. The whole idea of the temple being rebuilt and the Mosaic laws being once again reinstituted is nothing short of blasphemy. I want you to think about this for a minute. Under the old dispensation, who functioned as priest in the temple? The Levites did. 
When God destroyed, or actually when the Roman armies destroyed, the city of Jerusalem and the temple was sacked. All of the Jewish records, including their genealogies, were lost forever. There is not a Jew today that can trace his genealogical background, not one. Now the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 7 at verse 12, that the law being changed, there is of necessity a change of the priesthood. We're not under the law of Moses. The book of Hebrews stresses the superiority of the law of Jesus over the law of Moses. To say that we would go back to an inferior system contradicts everything that the New Testament is about. There's not one bit of truth to the idea that the temple will be rebuilt. It has been in ruins for some 19 centuries or so. And for a sacrificial system to be reinstituted, well, it's not going to happen. Let's just look for a minute or two about what the Bible has to say. And, and I know that I've just given you a thumbnail sketch of what some have said or what some believe concerning the rapture and the supposed signs of his coming. But what I want to do is turn to what the Bible has to say because ultimately that is our authority. Everything that is recorded in the Bible is recorded for our learning and ultimately to bless our lives. The term rapture, as you well know, is not found one time in the Bible. No need to get out of concordance and begin looking for the word because it's not there. Not only is the term not there, the doctrine is not there. Nowhere in the New Testament is the doctrine of the rapture found. Now I said that there are a lot of people that cite 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. What I want us to do is look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And then we're going, to look, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. And a couple of other passages. When Paul wrote to the saints in Thessalonica, he was writing to them about their concern over loved ones that had died. They had died in Christ. And so Paul seeks to alleviate their concerns or their fears. And the bottom line is what he's saying, they're well. Everything's okay. When the Lord comes, they'll come with him. Verse 13, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Key in on verse 16 now. For the Lord himself would ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. All right, think about what Paul just said. In light of the supposed rapturing away or snatching away secretly of the saints. 
and the resurrection supposedly of the righteous saints. Paul said that when Jesus comes, when Jesus descends from heaven, he will do so with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. Let me tell you what, we talk about the four corners of the earth. Every person, living or dead, will hear this announcement. He said, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Note that statement. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So when Jesus comes, audibly speaking, everyone will hear it. Now I want you to look at Revelation chapter 1. I want you to read these verses with me. In Revelation, the first chapter, John writes in about AD 95 or 96, he is about to lay aside the pen of inspiration. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Did you note that? Every eye will see him. There is no secret coming and snatching away the saints of Almighty God. When Jesus comes, it will be heard and it will be seen. He went on to say, they also who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Now sometimes individuals will pull passages of scripture and they will base their doctrine on one or two passages. What we have to do is look contextually at passages of Scripture, and then we might need to broaden our study and look contextually at the entirety of the New Testament or even the New as well as the Old Testaments. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, the sum of your word is truth. And the idea is that we look at various passages we analyze their meaning, and then we begin to draw our conclusions. We sift through the material, and then we come to a conclusion. So when we talk about the second coming of Christ and the events surrounding the second coming, here's what the Bible says. We've already looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Jesus will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. John said, every eye shall see him. Look at John chapter 5, if you would. In the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about the last day. In John 5, verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all, A-L-L, all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. When Jesus comes, those who are in the graves, whether righteous or unrighteous, will come forth. That's what Jesus said. So the dead will be raised. The Bible also says in connection with his coming that the earth and the world as we know it will be destroyed. Look, if you would, at 2 Peter chapter 3. 
Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Here's what Peter said. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. I want to ask you this question. If when Jesus comes, the earth and the works therein are burned up, how in the world could he, could he live and reign in Palestine for a thousand years? When he comes, the righteous and the unrighteous will be raised. The world as we know it will be destroyed. And so Peter said, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In Revelation chapter 21, John talked about the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Well, the new heavens, the new earth, signifying the heavenly home of the righteous. The heavens will be dissolved. The heavens will be destroyed. What will then take place? Well, you remember in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talked about his second coming. He said that when he comes, all of his holy angels will accompany him. He would be seated upon the throne of his glory. All nations would then be brought before him. And he would begin to judge them. They will be separated, the righteous from the unrighteous. We will then give an account of the deeds done in the body. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, John pictures that judgment. The judgment is what will commence at the second coming of Jesus. In, in the Apostle Paul's sermon on Mars Hill, he said, the times of ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. And the man by whom he will judge the world is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, according to John chapter 5. Following the, ju the judgment, there will be the assigning of eternal destinies. Go back and look, if you would, at Matthew 25 for a moment. In Matthew chapter 25, in verse 31, Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. All nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Drop down and look at verse 46, or rather verse 41. He'll say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 46, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, that is the unrighteous, those who were not living for God, but the righteous into eternal life. Following the judgment, there is the assigning of our eternal destin destinies. We will either live in heaven or hell forevermore. 
So, that's what's going to occur when Jesus comes. There will be no rapturing away as some have imagined. Now let's go back and look, if you would, with me for a moment at Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew, the 24th chapter, a lot of emphasis is placed on the verses that are contained in this context. Supposedly, as they relate to the signs of his coming. So in verse 1 of Matthew 24, Matthew said, Jesus went out and departed from the temple. He had just lamented or wept over the city of Jerusalem because of their impending destruction or the fact that they would ultimately be destroyed based on verses 37 through 39 of chapter 23. So Jesus went out, departed from the temple. His disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, one stone shall not be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. He's talking there about that physical temple in Jerusalem. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Two questions there. One relating to what would happen to the temple. And of course, the temple being in the city of Jerusalem would involve the city of Jerusalem. And the second having to do with his second coming. There is a key that helps us to unlock the meaning of what he's saying in Matthew 24. Drop down and look with me, if you would, at verse 34. With regard to the quote-unquote supposed signs of his coming, I believe that the signs that they're talking about has to do with the destruction of Jerusalem as well as the temple. And so in verse 34, Jesus said, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things are fulfilled. A generation would signify 20 years. One church writer, historian, said that a generation denoted 30 years. So if we were to say a generation encompassed 20 to 30 years, Jesus is saying that this generation, that is, those who were then living, he said they will by no means pass away till all these things are fulfilled. Do you remember in Mark chapter 9, verse 1, when Jesus talked about the kingdom? And he said, Verily I say unto you, there are some standing here that shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God come with power. He was talking about those who were then living in the first century. And he said that they would see the ushering in of the kingdom of God. If that did not occur, then what does that say about Jesus? So, it's my conviction that Matthew 24 verse 34 is one of the keys to the whole 
to the whole passage, or really to the whole chapter as it relates to the signs. So let's just read what Jesus said beginning in verse 4. Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. He's talking here about things that will occur prior to the destruction of Jerusalem that occurred in AD 70 by the Roman armies. He said, many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not year. Is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. How many times have you turned on the television and heard modern day doomsday prophets citing these verses? And I'm talking about popular preachers, well respected men. I'm not saying they're teaching what is truth, but that's what they're saying. He said, These are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because of lawlessness, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. When he says the end will come, he's not talking about the end of time. Was the gospel preached to the then known world in the first century? Paul said in Colossians chapter 1 it was. And that was in about A.D. 62. Verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, Whoever reads, let him understand. The Jews had been entrusted with the oracles of God. They knew what the Old Testament said. They were well aware of the prophet Daniel. And Daniel points to the events that we're talking about, as well as the coming of Jesus and his ministry. He said, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, if we're going to have this worldwide, global Armageddon, so to speak, and we're all under nuclear attack, what in the world would it do us any good to flee to the mountains? Think about that. I mean, what, what's that gonna, how, how's that gonna help us? Let him who is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house, let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. The difficulties that would encompass the people living in the city. The hardships. He said, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. He's not talking about Jesus coming back and the temple having been rebuilt and the Mosaic dispensation being put back in force, when he says pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath, the reason is because the doors, the gates of the city would be closed. 
He said, then there will be great tribulation, such as not has been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. God's people, that is, those who were Christians, they escaped the city. Thousands upon thousands of Jews were killed in A.D. 70 by the Roman soldiers. He said, if anyone says to you, look here, is the Christ or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders. So as to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. Therefore, I say to you, look, look rather, therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out, or, or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Now let me just pause here. Our time is almost gone. In addition to what we're talking about, and as we look at Matthew chapter 24, the first 33 verses, the first portion of Matthew chapter 24, depict the destruction of Jerusalem as well as the temple. In verse 35, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will not pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, no, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Here is a change in the topic. He's now moving from the destruction of Jerusalem to his second coming. And he said with regard to his second coming, no one knows. Not the angels of heaven. He himself said that he did not know when that would occur. I want to very quickly say one other thing in addition to what we've said already. When you begin to look at all of the ingredients making up the supposed rapture, the signs of his coming, I mentioned a moment ago how they have the idea that the Lord will come and his kingdom will be set up or established and he'll live and reign from Palestine. Well, the Lord is not coming to establish his kingdom here on earth and reign as king in the land, in the land of Palestine. The reason I know that is because the kingdom is already here. And those of us that have been baptized into Christ, we are in the kingdom. I want to give you three verses, and then we'll close. First, I want you to look with me at Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, Paul said, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Paul writing in AD 62, and he said, those of us that have been baptized into Christ, we have been delivered out of that sphere of darkness and we have been translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. That's the church. 
the church and the kingdom, one and the same. He said, it's in this context that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So in AD 62, Paul is saying that those who were living that had obeyed the gospel, they were in the kingdom. And then look with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, John said, I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. So in AD 95 or 96, John said, look, I'm in the kingdom. So in AD 62, Paul is saying that there were people in the kingdom. John's saying he's in the kingdom. The very idea that the kingdom has not yet been established is foreign to New Testament scripture. Daniel prophesied that the kingdom of God would be set up in the days of the Roman kings. Either it has or it hasn't. Either what God said is true or it is false to the core. Either we can believe Almighty God or we can say he doesn't know what he's talking about. When John the Baptist began his ministry, he said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus echoed those same words in Matthew chapter 4 at verse 19. And then Jesus, as I alluded to in Mark chapter 9 verse 1, said, there are some standing here that shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God come with power. The kingdom came with power when? Pentecost day. Where? Jerusalem. The time? A.D. 32 or 33. One other passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, of course, is talking about the resurrection. In the first few verses, he is emphasizing those who have seen the resurrected Christ. And he says, in short, that if Jesus has not been resurrected from the dead, our preaching is vain, our faith is vain, we're still in sin. He said in verse 19, if in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men the most pitiable. But now look at verse 24. In verse 24 he said, then comes the end. What end? The end of time. That is, when Jesus comes again. And he said, when he comes, he will deliver the kingdom of God, or rather he said he will deliver the kingdom to God. Listen to what he says. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. He's talking about the end of time. When Jesus comes again, the kingdom of God is not going to be set up. It's going to be delivered up. That's what the Bible says. And those of us who are in the kingdom will be a part of the saved if we've been faithful. We've covered a lot of ground. And I suppose in 30, 35 minutes, it's difficult to do justice to a subject like this. But the reason that I accentuate these points is because 
What we're talking about is extremely prevalent in the religious world. As I was driving to services tonight, I was thinking about how would I sum up or how could I summarize the rapture and the supposed signs of Jesus' coming in Matthew chapter 24. And what I came up with is this. It is a convoluted mess from start to finish. It's just not in the Bible. And there are a lot of folks in our world today, they get all hyped up and they get worried and they get scared and they talk about the last days and all, all of this other stuff. Let me tell you what. You can dismiss all of that hysteria. Just go to the book of all books. It'll tell you what's going to happen when Jesus comes. When Jesus comes, he's not going to set foot on this earth. He's going to destroy this earth. And we'll stand before him in the judgment. And as the Bible says, we will give an account of the deeds done in the body whether good or evil. So when you stand before the Lord on that great and final day, what's he going to say to you? Well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. Only two things he'll say. Either you're in or you're out. Either you're with him or you're not. I want, I want to encourage you tonight. If you're not a Christian, today's the day. If Jesus were to come tonight, would you be saved eternally in heaven? That really is the question of the hour. I mean, all the other trivial stuff we talk about in life events that take place from day to day. It's really all about our readiness. Are we ready for his coming? If you've not obeyed the gospel, I encourage you to do that today, believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Do as they did on Pentecost Day. Repent, be baptized into Christ so that every sin can be washed away. Acts 2.38. And then be faithful until death. If you're not faithful, I encourage you to come home. Let us pray with you and for you. And God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.